0: Another two months in our liturgical year, but I can't help but feel that this gospel passage today caps off a number of the themes that we've been exploring in the Gospel of Luke. You may remember we've been traveling with Jesus on the road to Jerusalem since the end of June. We will continue to do this through the first week of November. And every week, our gospel passage since then has been instructions from Jesus on how to be a disciple. This week is no exception. Jesus has spoken out repeatedly about the perils of wealth. And today we hear of an extremely wealthy man, one who dressed in purple linen, when there were strict rules in society about who was allowed to wear purple and how much of it they could wear. But just because we're not as wealthy doesn't mean necessarily that we avoid the sin of neglecting our impoverished neighbors. Jesus declared to us last month, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The challenge of the gospel for each of us today is, what do we treasure? How do our choices reveal our values? Or as I said to some people after the last mass, for two weeks we've been preaching, God loves you just as you are this week, get back to work. Much has been made of the fact that this is the only parable in which Jesus gives a name to one of the characters. We know that the poor man in this story was named Lazarus. We also know that he was starving, that he was sick, and that he was apparently homeless. The rich man in the parable must have known some of these things too since he called Lazarus by name. Even after seeing Lazarus resting in the bosom of Abraham, The rich man did not deign to speak directly to Lazarus, but he still expected Lazarus' help in avoiding eternal torment. There are days when I can comfort myself by thinking that I have nothing in common with the rich man. I try to keep informed about the plight of our poorer brothers and sisters. I give money to charitable causes that help the poorest of the poor. I occasionally write to my elected officials about social justice issues, Alex Rushdie and I recently joined the Knoxville Action Council of Catholic Charities of East Tennessee. I thought you'd like that. But in some ways, I'm worse than the rich man in the parable. Even though I don't wear much purple, except during Advent and Lent, I don't know the name of any of the homeless people in Knoxville. The rich man probably made eye contact with Lazarus on a daily basis. But what do I do? of children in Tennessee live in poverty, but I rarely interact with any of those children. The USDA reports that 16% of Tennesseans experienced food insecurity at some point last year. But I've never taken the time to hear the story of any individual who's struggling to put food on the table. Until 10 months ago, I had never visited anyone in prison. And before I was ordained, it was rare for me to visit someone who was sick or hospitalized. So when Amos reports that the Lord cries out, woe to the complacent, I can't help but wonder, is the Lord talking to me? The first sentence from our Timothy passage exhorts us to pursue six virtues. How often do I claim that I'm pursuing righteousness when I'm simply avoiding having to show love patience and gentleness for those who are down on their luck. For years we have debated the role of government in taking care of our brothers and sisters, and surely it is important for us to argue about policy choices regarding education, food, housing and health care. We can all find data in this day and age to support whatever policies we already want to support. As Rock Moaning reminded us last week, money does not grow on trees. However, something scares me in our current rhetoric. We place a lot of conditions on the people we're willing to help. We know Lazarus' name, but we don't know if he was a legal citizen of Judea. He surely didn't qualify for food stamps, since he apparently wasn't searching for employment. And even if he had qualified, I'm sure that the rich man would have not approved of the nutritional choices Lazarus made. Maybe he had a mental illness. Or maybe his family had kicked him out of the home because of his sexual orientation. Throughout the Bible, in different centuries and literary forms, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are dozens and dozens of demands for us to care for the widows, the orphans, and the aliens among us. On Mount Sinai, God didn't tell Moses not to worry about widows, orphans, and aliens who were lazy, addicted to drugs, physically disabled, or unable to speak the local language. And God told no such thing to Joshua, Gideon, Samuel, Esther, Judith, Amos, Hosea, Hezekiah, Jeremiah, Josiah, Ezekiel, Jesus, Paul, or James either. For so many of our neighbors living from paycheck to paycheck, all it takes is one unforeseen circumstance to set them into a downward spiral, an injury or illness, car trouble, a malfunctioning furnace. On Thursday night at the Action Council, Stephanie Quorum spoke to us about her work with indigent families in Roan County. Sometimes she said, I am the only stable relationship in their lives. Their friends are in less stable situations than they are. I think of all the opportunities that I've had in my life. Even with a full tuition scholarship to the University of Rochester, I would have had a much harder time if my parents hadn't given me the money to pay off my loans for room and board. I had an impressive-looking engineering resume, partially because my parents paid for my apartment and groceries during my summer internships. The good news is, Some people are really making a difference for people in poverty. With the help of the international community over the past 20 years, we've made some substantial gains. In 2011, 77% of children in sub-Saharan Africa were enrolled in elementary school, compared with only 53% in 1990. Over that same period, we've cut the world death rate for children under 5 years old by 41%. Imagine what we could do if everyone made this a priority. There are ways to help those people caught in the debilitating cycle of poverty. But the key is getting to know the poor and the vulnerable as individuals. We can refuse to buy hot sauce for people at the shelter because we think it's a frivolous expense. Or we can learn that people recovering from drug dependence have poorly functioning taste buds. We can shake our heads at teenagers who wear heavy jackets in the summertime, Or we can realize that malnutrition prevents the body from regulating its temperature. We can complain that the homeless don't eat the nutritious apples and carrots that we pack in their sack lunches. Or we can get close enough to see that these people don't have strong teeth. We can sit in our comfortable suburban homes and condemn the poor for the choices they've made or we can drive to North Broadway and hear their stories of how they have few other options. Lazarus longed for the scraps from the rich man's table. Is our table something that unites us? Or do we use it to isolate ourselves from one another? Do we use the gate to invite Lazarus in, or to keep him out? If we create a chasm between ourselves and Lazarus, we might find ourselves on the opposite side of Abraham and Jesus at the end of time. Holy Spirit, help us as the people of God to pursue righteousness, devotion, faith, love, patience, and gentleness.